Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships, and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Meg Durham and I'm thrilled that you are here with me today. When it comes to making choices, do you lead more with your head or do you lead more with your heart? Learning how to lead ourselves and others with a balance of head and heart is quite a skill to master. And today's guest, Tracy Ezard, is going to share with us what we can all do to bring together the head and heart to move forward in more authentic, sustainable and meaningful ways. Her latest book, Ferocious Warmth, School Leaders Who Inspire and Transform, is a book to celebrate the humanness seen in educational leaders everywhere, to pose questions and to seek answers to them. It is a crucial read for those seeking to elevate their leadership. Tracy is an experienced educator, speaker, author and mentor who was awarded the Breakthrough Speaker of the Year 2023. In this conversation, we discuss the elements of ferocious warmth, how to balance the head and heart of leadership, why leaders have such an impact on school culture and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tracy Ezard. Tracy, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you, Meg. It's just so exciting to be on this podcast. I just love what you're doing with this and I love the people that you have on. So it's a great honour that I'm getting to chat with you today. Today we're going to be talking about your book, Ferocious Warmth. And I thought we could begin with what is it? What is ferocious warmth? I love a metaphor. I love words. I love two things. Words that evoke feelings and thoughts and images when you say them, but also almost two incongruous words smashed together. And I think that's what leadership is all about. It's about incongruity. It's about responsiveness. It's about being adaptable. And so the ferocity is about having the passion and the ferocity sort of lead transformation to be bold, to be courageous. It's also about having the strategy and the cognitive side. So it's the head stuff is really there, but it's also about how do we always do that with warmth? How do we do that with compassion? How do we do that with empathy? How do we understand that the human connections that we build are the things that actually help transformation or help people have well-being, help people thrive in whatever they're doing, whether they're students learning, whether they're teachers teaching, whether they're support staff in a school, whatever role, whether you're a nurse or a doctor in a hospital, what's around us helps us to thrive. So the warmth with the ferocity means We're doing the right stuff and we're doing it in a way that helps us really be motivated and exhilarated about it. I love that idea of bringing out the best in the head and the heart instead of this idea of you have to be either a head leader or a heart leader or a head person or a heart person and bringing them both together. So why do you think it's so important that we cultivate the ability to bring the head and heart to school life? I just think it's it's vital. We have to have 
the vision. We have to have the plans. We have to have the purpose. Are we moving forward? Often that takes a lot of logic to go, how are we going to do that? What are the tasks we've got? What are our measurements around success? No, they're all really important. And yet too often the pendulum swings so far that way that we forget that we can't do that unless people are actually bought in and they're committed and they're working as a collective together. You know, that psychological safety to say we've got to take risks, but we want to do it in a way that we feel safe to do it with each other and we've got each other. So how do we create that that safety net that says this is where we're heading for, we've got a pathway, but we've also got this collective where we are deep learners together we trust each other. We see each other as really valuable human beings. If we just do one or the other, we've got all these potholes in the road. You know, Maybe we haven't got a good plan. Maybe we haven't got a good strategy. Maybe we haven't thought this through objectively. Or maybe we've done that, but we've forgotten about the people. And we're just driving people so hard that they're just ready to fall into the pothole and say, I ain't going anywhere further. Thanks very much until we actually have somewhere when I come to work, I can actually survive. Or when I come into the classroom, I feel like I am bringing my best self because my best self is nurtured. As you're talking, I'm reflecting on the leaders that I've worked with and the ones that have the biggest impact on me and a lasting impact on me are the ones that have that beautiful balance of head and heart because you feel so safe with them as a human, but also looking to the future of where we're going. And they've got this great ability. I now unpacked so many exemplars when I was writing the book, which is fantastic. And I've worked with so many of them over the years. But, you know, there's this beautiful move. The, the infinity symbol is the symbol of ferocious warmth. And it's because it's this beautiful dance that people who are ferocious warmth leaders do in being able to hold the space for people wherever they might be, but also do the stretch. And and we all want stretch. We, we don't want to be stretch like a rubber band so we snap but we want to have that I'm being held where I'm at but I'm also being encouraged to continually improve continually grow continually evolve as a human being it's the special source of ferocious sports leaders to be able to do that high challenge and high support without having people crumble and as you're talking I'm also thinking that is the art of great teaching in the classroom being able to support our students, but also challenge them at a rate that they can tolerate so they can stretch. So much of what we do in leadership is absolutely transferred down into the classroom. A lot of the work I do around how do we create adult learning cultures, really deep collaboration. We have to have the same sort of vulnerability that we expect of students to say, I don't know what I'm doing or I need help. And quite often what we do is we put up this facade that goes, no, I'm okay. I know what I'm doing. Whereas the world is too complex for us to know what we're doing all the time. And when we've got each other, then wow, it makes a difference because it's okay if I know stuff sometimes, know how to do stuff, and then I feel like I'm a little bit out on the high wire, but I know that I've got the safety net of my crew around me. I've got the safety net of the supports of the systems. That's where the head stuff comes in again. You know, we've got good systems. We can't expect people to do really, you know, transform teaching practice, for example, teaching and learning what's going on in the classroom, if we are not putting systems in place to support them. So it's the system stuff is the head stuff, the human connection, the human vulnerability, the human trust and rapport, that's the hard work. And it's so interesting that it's often called the soft skills. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would take a hard skill any day after some of these soft skills. Absolutely. And we, you know, over the years, I've asked, you know, thousands of people, what are the things that you really look for in a leader. And the technical stuff like fits in 
5% of their answers. The rest of it is so much around interactions and human dynamics and trust and seeing me. Amy Cuddy, I love the work of her team, her research team. She, they've done a lot of work around what do people look for in leaders, you know, and the type of leader that most people want to be led by or with are ones that have competency and warmth, you know, together. And it's that warmth stuff that, you know, if we go too far, we can get that out of balance. And so it is the balance of how do we bring the competency, the technical work, the strategic work together with that really deep emotional intelligence. Yes, I've also worked with leaders that have probably gone too far in the heart direction. And I refer to these leaders as making all the right noises. They say all the right things. So in the moment, you feel like, yes, they understand things are going to change, but then they don't have that ability to put things into action. They're really good at saying all the right things. They look on brand. They say the most amazing speeches. Everybody's with them but they just don't have that strategy. Have you seen that? Absolutely. And, you know, that's what a lot of the book is about is what happens when we go out of balance and we have a default, you know. So I think emotional self-awareness, skill number one in emotional intelligence is do I know what my default is? Now, do I go more to the head or more to the heart? People go, I do both. Excellent. That's ferocious warmth. (laughs) That's actually bringing in both skills and most of us know when we don't have to worry about anyone else, I'm going to go more to the heart or more to the head. And the example you give there is I have that so much. A bunch of people, I grew up in Queensland yesterday, and I said, which way do you reckon you go first, results or relationships? So many people that were on there going, yeah, I go to relationships. And what that means, what's the impact of that? Yeah, sometimes my boundaries are crushed. Sometimes we're so focused on the relationships, we don't get the stuff done. We don't have a really clear strategy going forward. And so just even having that awareness can go, all right, well, what skill do I need to build from the other? So rather than, as you mentioned before, I, I'm really good at the strategy or I'm really good at the people person, people stuff, and I've got my team, they do that stuff for me. We have to be able to build both because both sides have got detriments when they we get too, too much. Now, I often will say to people, if we're in the really in the heart space, and we're not careful, those strengths that we have can turn to shadows. So instead of being super empathetic, I start just avoiding having the harder conversation. <laughs> I know you've seen that a lot. I bet you work with people a lot around this. We're so scared of conversations, and yet conversations are what build culture. Conversations are what build relationships. So, you know, when we're very much in our heart, we can be worried that people won't like us. You know, it's extreme. We can just go into the drama triangle and we can do a whole lot of rescuing and fixing stuff up in a way that's really unhealthy. I call them the enmeshed leaders. So our relationships are really enmeshed. They're not health. That's the extremity of the heart stuff. But I bet you've also seen the other side where people are just so much head. I've also seen teams that are all head and teams that are all heart, and that is a recipe for disaster. And I've also seen a beautiful balance where people can support each other and bring each other in, and there's a head and a heart, and it's not a yes team. It's a different kind of feel. Absolutely, and that for me, that's the high-performance team. I, because I've seen also seen teams where there is head and heart, and they haven't worked out how to learn and build from the strengths of the other and so they sit in separate camps and they don't have that understanding that it's the blend of both that we all need to get better at around that you know and we know that if we've got very results driven leadership and we're not focused on culture we're not focused on people 
what ends up happening is that people feel micromanaged. People feel that they have no say. People feel that they're being led by autocracy. And they have really gold gems to bring forward and suggest and co-create. But co-creation isn't something that's fostered. So when we bring in the hard work, we actually listen to other people's perspectives. We, we seek to find out what other people think. Uh, and so both extremities are just really dangerous. In fact, you know, the extremity of just being a very head-driven leader can be the, t- the dark leadership styles of toxicity, bullying, narcissism, and very uncoachable in terms of that not being open to learning around this and, you know, really dissing the other side. This is soft stuff. This is fluffy stuff. You know, people just need to drink a cup of co- concrete. That's the extremity of that. And so that's where I, th- I think it comes from a real corporatized background around we tell you what to do rather than actually we collaborate together around what we need to do. So the collective is really the mantra of the ferocious wolves leader. How do I actually unpack and leverage and help to inspire the collective around what we're all trying to do? And I'm feeling more and more as the years are going on that this is what people are looking for. They're looking for this ferocious warmth. They want this sense of safety, belonging, that they matter but there is structure, there is boundaries, because when there's no boundaries, when it is dramatic and it's all enmeshed, it can be really hard to get work done. Absolutely. And we're expending so much energy on, you know, how we're presenting to people, you know, that impression management stuff where we're focusing our energy on, did I say the right thing? So, you know, the psychological safety just isn't there. We know that psychological safety is about, I can take risks with the people and have a voice and contribute. When we're really worried about our social stuff, it's really hard to then focus on our problem solving, our cognitive stuff, all the problem solving and collaboration that needs to happen in the prefrontal cortex goes out the window because the cortisol is pretty high, the fear is pretty high. So whether we are you know, in a very results-driven environment or a very heart relationship-driven environment, if they're out of whack, then our ability to be the best we can be is totally out of whack because we're having to manage ourselves so much more. There's no flow. Ferocious warmth is really about flow. You know, it's really about energy exchange. It's about contextually being able to move to what is needed. Yes, I love that idea of being able to dance with what's needed, leaning into that head and then leaning into the heart and being able to really navigate the challenges as they rise instead of just using the same strategy over and over again and wondering why it's not working. Absolutely what we know doesn't work back in the classroom. So if we take it back, you know, we expect that we are building our skills as educators to be able to differentiate for the needs of students. Yes, there are some strategies that are consistently come forward as working, just like it happens in the classroom. But the nuance and the contextualisation of where we're at what individual people need, where we're at as a leader, that's the emotional self-awareness and self-compassion coming first, where we're at just requires us to go, is what I'm doing getting me and getting us the outcomes that we need? And if I ask myself that question, then it means I start taking responsibility if we're not. One of the downfalls we can have when things are not going where we want them to go is we can do a whole lot of blame we can just blame all the reasons why this is not working. And, you know, if people simply did this and, you know, I need my team leaders to do that. And if everyone would just 
But what we haven't done is we haven't gone, okay, have we given time, people time to actually clarify what does this need to look like? Have we given people opportunity to voice where their concerns might be? Have we put in some structures to allow them time to talk through it, learn it, implement it, pilot it in a learning environment, which is not a judging one, but just curious about the impact we're having? If I'm not doing that, I've got to take responsibility for the fact that the reason it's not happening may also be to do with me. And that is such a powerful skill as a leader to be able to step back and think, how am I contributing? And not just as a leader, but as a human, how am I contributing to this? What am I bringing to this? It's a a huge human skill, isn't it? Because our default is defence. Our default is, this isn't about me, this is about you. (laughs) Or this is about the powers that be, or whatever it might be. Our default is to protect ourselves. There's a real courage and vulnerability that comes with stepping in. I'll often say to people, now when you feel your defences rise, how can you step in rather than stepping away? How can you ask a more curious question that says, okay, tell me more about that, rather than coming up with all the reasons why that person is wrong? Because we know that invalidating people's perspective is one of the biggest highways to distrust. Because I then see you as not approachable, not open to any feedback from me. So I'm going to put that feedback underground. I'm going to say it to my mate. I'm going to hold it within me. I'm going to get resentful because we don't have that channel that says, hey, Meg, can we have a talk about what we were discussing in the meeting the other day? You know, I just need to get clarity about it. And I worked with a a leader in a group mentoring program the other day in my leadership meeting. I actually said, I don't agree. I don't agree. And this is why. And for her, it was this huge, big, courageous step to say it in front of her colleagues. And which went really well. Because that's where robust debate lives. And yet we just shy away from conflict. You know, we go, it's going to be conflict. It's going to be, it's going to be war rather than. How do we just build this environment where we could just have these really good argy-bargies? They're never personal. They're professional and they fuel our passion for what we're doing and they really uncover what we think and they help us to really unpack how we're going to do what we need to do. And it helps us to move beyond that common narrative of I don't want to be difficult, I don't want to rock the boat, I don't want to be seen as someone too big for my boots and to move beyond that and have the courageous conversations in the spaces, not in the hallways. I call them the vortex of despair, you know, that start to emerge near the hot water tap, in the staff room, down the corridor of building C, because what we have got is we haven't got the culture and the setup for those good conversations to be had just in meetings, you know. I have a buzz diagnostic. It's had over 12,000 educators go through it, you know, and the lowest school on the diagnostic around our professional learning culture is that we have good, robust debate, good pedagogical, robust debate. And it's because it's a skill that we haven't really developed ourselves. So I think there's good work to do there. And underpinning that is always we have an environment of trust and psychological safety that says it's safe for people to speak. And that really comes back to the tone that the ferocious world leader sets in whether they're approachable, whether they're open and whether they actually display that ability to hold, to pause, to listen with intent, and to really then be able to step in and have a good adult-to-adult conversation that explores why a decision might have been made, 
or why this is so important to the school and to seek to hear what might be going on for someone who might not see it the same way. Maybe that person's right. Maybe there's a whole big piece that hasn't been done in the strategy along unpacking it. Maybe there's been a lack of clarity. Maybe the leadership team really know what's going on, but everyone else is a little bit lost. So where is it that what is being said in this conversation actually gives me insight so that I can shift, change, tweak, strengthen, maybe apologize, apologies, how amazing are apologies when a leader says, yeah, I'm really sorry. We've actually, we've got that wrong at the moment. So what we're doing is we want to tweak it so that we can make sure that we get back on track. Huge, huge brownie points, isn't there? When a, when a leader actually acknowledges and shows that they are a learner and that they're responsive to what's needed. As you were sharing that, I was thinking of a time when a leader apologized to me and that feeling in your body of, oh, that feels congruent. I feel safe with you. So the next time something comes up, I am going to give you that generous assumption because you had that ability to circle back to me compared to those leaders that they know they've done the wrong thing. Everybody knows it. And then you just keep going on and going on and going on. Absolutely creates this distrust. You know, it's a huge part of authenticity, isn't it? You know, the authentic leader who can just go, wow, stuffed up there (laughs) or you know, how can we lead a learning culture if we're not actually role modeling that we're learners? How can we expect everyone else to have a growth mindset? If when we get some feedback that says we're on the wrong track, what we do is we cover it up. Professor Amy Edmondson, who's led the world in the, the psychological safety space, her first research was, you know, now 25 years ago in hospital settings where she assumed that high performance teams made less mistakes. And out of it came a deeper understanding of psychological safety, which was a term that had been around since Shine and Bettis came up with it a few decades earlier. But that whole premise that she had to go, whoa, hang on, and come at something here, that actually it's the low performance teams that have less mistakes because they don't talk about them. They hide them under the carpet. They all, you know, I've done work in some places that the way we use mistakes is to just throw hand grenades at everyone else and use it as revenge and retribution when people are stuffed up. And you can hear it again in the language, can't you? When you work, when you're working in a team or in an environment where when something goes wrong, the first thing people do is they point their fingers at everyone else. And in a blame culture, they never look at, what's my part to play? And it's an incredible eye-opener, I think, when schools of, I saw it happen just recently, where a school had done a diagnostic and was very much around, this is what everyone else is doing, but I'm okay. And the parity in the results meant that we could dig deep into what, why do we do that? Why do we say we're contributing amazingly to our culture, but gee, there's a lot of things that other people are doing that make it that it's not like that. You know, where's our self-awareness around things? And for me, it's around the collective work is hard. We can often think that we're contributing really strongly as individuals, but when it comes to the collective, all the human dynamics come in and that's why we need that head and that heart coming together. Go, what are we concentrating on? What are we focusing on? And how, how are we behaving in ways that help us to do that deep, challenging work together? So it sounds like cultivating this ferocious warmth can help us not only in the classroom, but can really help us in our lives to be able to bring that head and heart to our lives. So 
What are some elements of ferocious swarms and how can we cultivate them? I think these are life skills, aren't they? Some of the elements of ferocious swarms, so I have four main elements that they come out of ferocious swarms. The first one is being expansive. And so that is being the learner, being a learner. And how do we push ourselves out of the comfort zone? And often people will say, I'm always out of the comfort zone. And I reckon, you know, what about going and starting playing the guitar? You know, what about going and throwing yourself out of a plane? If it's something you've always wanted to do, but you've been too scared, you know, how do you go and have that conversation with someone who sees the world totally different to you? So the expansive the expansive one is, do I seize the day around expanding my horizons? You know, going up and really challenging my model of the world rather than sitting in safety, always listening to only the same people. You know, this is a real challenge around school cultures where there's really strong cliques is that we're in an echo chamber. If I've got a whinge and a moan, I go to my, my little clique and I whinge and I moan and then someone whinges and moans back and then there's these there's this, this echo chamber of whinge and moans that happens and we all walk away feeling pretty crappy after. <laughs> and, you know, that, that can happen. How am I as being resilient? I, I love the term anti-fragile from Nassim Taleb, you know, that anti-fragility is we are in such a complex world now. Those of us who are anti-fragile that actually see that the chaos and the complexity helps us get stronger, not weaker. I think that's what we need in schools, that ability to, you know, put our shoulder into the wind and almost go, bring it on, bring it on. I think that's really powerful to even think that we can get stuck within our own systems, talking to the same people about the same thing. And instantly I was thinking about, we can get stuck in our own department, just thinking about our own department, if it's PE, science, whatever it may be, or even in junior years, I'm prep or, you know, we get so stuck in that context where how amazing would it be if we sometimes go to another lesson, go to a colleague's lesson or have a conversation with a colleague or I used to love when I was in P to 12, I would love to go to the junior years and I had the chickens coming into their classrooms just to be in a different environment within the bigger environment. So I think that expansive piece is so powerful and something that we probably naturally default away from because we're so used to our little niche. Yeah, I agree. agree. I often use the metaphor of the sunflowers, you know, flowers Farmers plant sunflowers in straight lines. Honeybees come and pollinate in straight lines. But when we chuck wild bees in, the honeybees go all over the place and the yield goes up. And I, I just think, so I always say to people, you know, never underestimate the power of cross-pollination. It, you know, often schools will get have really good collaboration happening within teams. And their next evolution is how do we make sure we're doing that between teams, that deep learning, that deep questioning, that deep curiosity. So, yeah. So, that first element of ferocious warmth is to develop this expansiveness, to get curious. What's the next element? The next one's connected. And this is the leadership or the, just the human element. So, this is my personal leadership that says, actually, connected, connectedness is incredibly important. Now, I know I'm speaking your language there, Meg, and I know this is absolutely your wheelhouse. And for me, we know it, not at the extreme, but we know that social isolation is one of the biggest killers of us. You know, it, it creates the social model of health, puts social isolation at one of the most, the highest indicators of chronic health issues. One in four people felt that they felt very disconnected and lonely. I would say that's gone up since COVID. Our ability to connect to each other as human beings is 
it's core to who we are. We're social beings. We, you know, our even if we say, oh, no, I really like my alone time, there's this deep connection that still happens with people who are really good at alone time around things we're passionate about, things that help us have deep conversations just as much as connecting to people on a dance floor, you know, and and just having joy. I, I love the pub choirs, you know, they're, they're just great examples of using singing to connect and I sometimes get people in conferences to do that. You know, I'm a, a former performing arts teacher, so I love getting people singing. And, you know, the connectedness we feel when we do that is important. So, so there's connectedness to others, but connectedness is also to ourselves. So self-compassion and self-care, from a leadership perspective, one of my mantras is leadership well-being is actually a leadership behaviour. It's not something that sits on the side. It's a leadership behaviour. And I know that that is a lot of your work is in that space as well. That ability to have compassion for ourselves, to really examine what our inner voice is saying to us. You know, when, when I ask people to just write, write down what your inner voice is saying at the moment, people get a real shock with the stuff that's going on. So how do we connect more deeply? How do we spend more time in reflection? And it might be that you reflect when you're running. It may be reflecting when you are on a bike. You might be the type of person that reflects when you're in the shower or in the in or sitting up at a meditation cushion in the corner of my room. But I love just sitting on when I just really want to reflect. Where's your special spot that helps you connect to you with self-compassion and love? So love is a big part of connectedness. It's love for self, it's love for others, it's love for the work we do. There's just one other part of connectedness that is also it pulls from the head and it's connecting people to the vision. It's connecting people in the work. It's connecting people to the purpose. And it's a really good cementing the head and the heart together, which says, how do we buy into this really important job that we're doing? And when it comes to me personally around connection is, am I, do I think I'm living my purpose? As I look back on my career and I think of myself as an early career teacher, there's so much disconnection so much incongruency, just desperately trying to look like I knew what I was doing and just hoping that no one would find out that I had no clue what I was doing and that internal dialogue of what would people think? What are people going to talk about or say about me? Am I writing? Am I wearing the right clothes? Like all of this internal dialogue, which now I look back and think it made it hard to really be in connection with other people because I had so much noise going on in my head. But as I've got older and as my skill sets increased, I've learned more and more that as I'm in more connection with myself, as I get to know myself, as I'm more congruent with myself, those voices are still there, but they're just not as loud. So it allows me to be more present with other people. And, you know, I love it because you have got an incredible presence. You know, you can really feel your presence when you're with people and I think that's just a, such a grounding when we can spend time just reflecting on how do we want to be you know who do we want to be and we grow into that and you know that's why I think we've got such opportunity if you think back to you know when you were a first year teacher I was probably quite a few years before that none of this stuff was ever talked about none of this stuff you know and what I hope is when we create teams and cultures in schools, that our first year teachers actually feel that it is okay not to know everything and that it is okay to ask for help. And I had someone 
we were talking about courage the other day in a, with a big team that I was working with, a big school. And it was just so wonderful because one of the teachers, I think she'd been out for three or four years, when I said, well, you know, what's, what's something of courage that you know that you step into and you, or you need to step into, you want to step into? And she courageously yelled out to ask for help. And it was like this ripple of, yes, came around the room and, and for all of us so that the, when the most experienced teacher or leader in that room asks others for help, you know you've got a culture where you've got, yep, where we've really got a culture where people feel supported. Because when our most experienced teachers go, oh, wow, thanks, that was amazing watching you do that and you're talking to a first year out, second year out teacher. And you might be giving them some feedback around what growth areas. We can acknowledge, what did I learn from watching you teach or having that conversation? All of a sudden, our trust, our psychological safety, our deep learning of each other goes through the roof. And that's all about connection, isn't it? To be able to ask for help and receive help, there's connection on both sides and it's such a beautiful way to literally bring people together. So what's the third element when it comes to ferocious warmth? Third element is authenticity. So it's being the authentic leader, authentic human being. And authenticity is, it's not about just banging the table about, I'm authentically, this is who I am, and you have to suck it up, you know. The the authenticity that I have uncovered that people say helps them connect to a ferocious world leader is they've got their ego in check. So, you know, there's a humility around ferocious warmth leaders that say, I don't have it all stitched up. I haven't got it all sorted, but what I am is always work in progress. And I'm proud of the progress I make and I learn from the stuff that I need to build, but I know that I can't do it by myself. So there's an authenticity that then leads this deep co-creation with others, this deep collaboration this willingness to be open and curious about other people. And it's very much around the power with, not power over. And, you know, that authenticity, I call it professional intimacy is the term I actually have with it, which frightens people off. It's again, it's a two smashing of incongruous words together. But it's intimacy we're talking about when we have this authenticity. People feel they know us. People feel they are seen by us. It's a professional level. And of course, there's that personal element, you know, it's sharing who you are with each other. You know, I love getting people just talking in a team around stuff around when they were growing up, stuff around what are the things you did as hobbies when you were kids? Um, what What's something that you did that you were really proud of in another place that you worked, whether you worked at McDonald's when you went through uni or whether it's a school that you worked in up in the Northern Territory, or what's a piece of you or pieces of you that are really relevant to us knowing and mixing into what I call the, the master stock of our team or the master stock of our, of our whole school. Um, and that authenticity is, I absolutely am asking you this because I'm genuinely interested in you and a human being. It's not false. It's uh, you and I are humans in this human mess that we're in, <laughs> finding joy and finding challenge. And we're there together. And I think that's authenticity. And I think that comes from whether you're a leader or whether you're just general human being. We spot authenticity. We spot incongruity very strongly. So it's the, the congruousness that we bring, you know, and how do we bring more of that? And I feel that this is one of the elements 
that has really evolved over time. As you said, when we started teaching, it was a bit more like don't smile till Easter, just pretend, just perform. We're now we're in this new part where people really want to know who are you? What are you bringing to this environment? Let's hear you, who you are, your story, and feel that deep connection. So what's the last element that we can all ponder? It's courage and it's being bold and it's having the strength to go, this is absolutely what I stand for and being willing to stand up for it and being open to have those really good, robust conversations that might evolve what I stand for because I think we should always be evolving our purpose, what we stand for, what we try to bring. But it's where do we want to be bolder and are we stepping into it? And as a sector in education, we have so got to be bold. We were bold during COVID, you know, when we went on to remote. How do we keep being bold? How do we not go, that was then, this is now, now we go back to doing exactly the same thing I've always done. Our students don't need that from us. Our students, our, the young kids we look after, the youth, they need us to be really looking at, is education fitting the needs for them for life? And how are we being bold about shifting the things we need to shift? From a personal level, I think it's just actually looking at our lives and saying, where do I want to be bolder? Where do I want to actually experience new experiences? Where do I want to maybe... Are there people in my lives, for example, that I know are not healthy for me? And do I need to be courageous around maybe cutting some of those ties or redefining the relationship? Are there places I want to go that I want to step out and really have courage? For me, courage, you know, cur, the French for the heart, is such a head and heart one because often the head comes in to say, well, what do I need to do to actually take that next step and that next step? And we've got to have a bit of a plan around supporting ourselves but it's the heart that says my heart is pulling me to do this. Oh, I get so excited when I think about this idea of ferocious warmth and those four elements. You think about an expansive human connected to self and others in authentic ways and having the courage to bring out the best in themselves and others. That is so exciting. Tracy, to wrap up this incredible conversation, I'd love to invite you to complete four sentences. Are you up for that? I am up for it. I am inspired by people who are courageously shifting the paradigm that we sit in. When life feels hard. I really step into looking after myself and nurturing myself and those around me. An underrated skill is. Oh, so many, I reckon. Listening without judgment. And I am looking forward to. I'm looking forward to taking my dog for a walk in the short term uh, in, on this beautiful sunny day. And I'm also looking forward to just seeing where we continue to go with having more of these conversations, bringing this stuff to light and having more compassion in the world. You know, that's what I'm really looking forward to. And thank you for your part to play in it because I think it's huge. Tracy. Thank you so much for this conversation and for writing this incredible book because it really makes a difference. If we can unlock our potential through the head and the heart, watch out. Magic can happen. And thank you for being guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast. Well, you are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me, mate. What a conversation. Imagine what our school communities could be like if we cultivated a little bit more ferocious form. 
To learn more about Tracy and the wonderful work she's doing in the world, see the show notes for more details. If you love the show, please share it with anyone you think that would benefit from listening. Or reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and let me know what resonated most with you. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs, or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 82. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing, and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action. Bye.